This evening, I'd like to have you turn to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, it is our constant passage for at least another week as we continue on in our study of the seven feasts of Israel. And it is within the context of our passage that we will initially read that we find those seven, uh, at least the, I should say the first three of the seven feasts mentioned. That is verses 4 through 14. And I read this passage last week as well. So uh, from it we went to one verse, verse 5, that dealt with the Passover and focused on that. And now we look at verses 6 through 8. But we're going to read the whole passage again because of the context in which these three festivals are together. Verse 4 says, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. Moed, the appointed feasts. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf of a he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. Whoops. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears, until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Last week we focused our attention on the feast of Passover, Pesach the first of the seven feasts of Israel. It is the one-day feast that is the shadow of the substance that is the cross of Christ on Calvary. Specifically, it is the crucifixion of the Passover Lamb of God who shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Remember this statement from Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, that says, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses 
wherein they shall eat it. Notice again the, the, the statement of the blood. They shall take the blood and strike it, you know, with that plant of hyssop. Strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. There's reference also to the, the basin at the bottom. That's four points. So I think we know what that represents. And then we go down to verse 13 and we read that the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So we remember this part of the history where the Jews, the Israelites being in the land of Egypt are now being prepared to to leave that land. But before they leave it, these things must happen. These instructions of the Lord must be followed to the letter about the Lamb, about the age of the Lamb, about the condition of the Lamb, about the blood of the Lamb about every little detail all the families were to follow so that the blood being the symbol that is seen when placed upon or or applied to the house that death would pass over in essence. And it brings us to mind about these things in the New Testament For example, where Paul says in Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, pointing to that event. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What that blood represented was the type that was fulfilled in Christ. When he shed his blood on the cross for our sins. And then of course when Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption, speaking of Jesus, In whom we have redemption through his blood, The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And so the angel of death passed over the Israelites If blood was on the four posts of the door. And what this means to us is that death, the penalty for our sins, is passed over because the blood of the Lamb of God was shed for us and placed and applied upon the four posts of the cross. The four posts of the cross. Consider, if you will, these these prophetic comparisons. Let me begin by, by stating that the calendar starts with a lamb. That new calendar, when you read at the beginning of Exodus chapter 12, this is a new year, in essence a new beginning. So the calendar starts with a lamb. You you go back to Exodus 2, I'm sorry, Exodus 12 verses 2 and 3, where it says, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And then it says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day... Of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. So the calendar begins with a lamb. They shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. 
The calendar, when pointing to Jesus, the calendar would start over as the Lamb. It starts over as the Lamb. And as Paul has mentioned in 1 Corinthians, and we'll see it in a little bit, in a little while, uh, chapter 5, Jesus, our Passover. He's our Passover Lamb. So a Lamb begins the year, and a new beginning begins with the Lamb at Passover. Our Lamb, Jesus. The Lamb was brought into the house on the twelfth, uh, I'm sorry, on the tenth day, this being in Exodus 12. The Lamb's brought into the house on the tenth day. You jump ahead to the fulfillment, and Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the tenth day. The tenth day of the month. The Lamb was inspected for four days. Jesus was tried for four days. The Lamb was found to be without any blemish. Jesus was found to be innocent without any sin. The the blood on the Lamb was in the shape of the cross on the door. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, shed His blood on the cross. The Lamb had to come into contact with fire and judgment. Or fire which represents judgment. And Jesus had to endure the judgment of mankind's sin. Do do we see all of the comparisons now? The type to the antitype. The type to the fulfillment, in other words. So the condemnation of sin is removed. Now now this is a, a tremendously important point. That the condemnation of sin is removed from those who accept this truth by faith. Who accept the truth and believe by faith. Applying the blood and accepting its application to our hearts and our lives, whereby man passes from death unto life, from bondage into liberty, and from darkness into light. Leaving an old life for a new one. Leaving an old life for a new life. Walking to God through this sacrifice. Now, now this picture is very important. Walking to God through this sacrifice. A person begins his walk with God through separation. From sacrifice to separation. Salvation, in other words is not the end, it is only the beginning. Salvation is not the end, it is the beginning. And the issue of separation leads us now to the next feast, the feast of unleavened bread. Let's go back and look at verses 6-8 through eight of our text. And on the 15th day of the same month, the month of Nisan, is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. So the first of the seven days and the last of the seven days, both times there's a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work 
therein. And so we're dealing with this feast of unleavened bread, what we call Hag Hamatzot. Hag Hamatzot. Hag means feast. And, of course, Hamatzot is just pointing to matzah. How many of you know what matzah is? I mentioned it last week, so this is the test. (laughs) Matzah is just unleavened bread. Bread without yeast. Bread without anything that causes it, or or baking powder or whatever, to make it rise. No leaven whatsoever. Hag Hamatzot. That begins on the 15th of Nisan, which was the day following Passover and would continue for seven days until the 21st of Nisan. Now, the text makes it clear that the first and the last days of this feast, this seven-day feast, are called holy convocations. Now, to put the order right in the Hebrew, it is Mikra Kodesh. Mikra Kodesh. Mikra is the convocation or the assembly, and Kodesh is the word for holy. Holy or set apart. Mikra Kodesh. Holy convocation would be Kodesh Mikra. So, but, but in the Hebrew to get... You know, it's kind of like in Spanish, you know, White House is Casa Blanca. You know, so you turn the words around. A, a, every language has its own uh, kind of uh, setup. So these days are also known as the High Sabbath. Any holy convocation becomes, or at least here in this case, is a high Sabbath. So the high Sabbaths then were devoted for two things. Devoted to rest and worship. Rest and worship. No work to be done. That goes on even to this day. For those who celebrate Passover, they do all of their work before these days come. The days of unleavened bread and first fruits. Everything is done. But there is no servile work. In other words, there is no work to be done. No labor to be doing. And interestingly, the day prior to the High Sabbath, of course, obviously, but important to understand, the day prior to the High Sabbath was commonly known as a preparation day. A day of preparation which meant that the Passover on the 14th of Nisan was also the preparation day for the High Sabbath on the 15th. Now the Lord commanded the Israelites to avoid eating any foods with leaven during the festival. And this was a strong command, by the way. This wasn't just a nice suggestion. This was a command. No use of yeast or any kind of baking powder or anything that, that uh, will cause any kind of lump of, 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 uh, of dough to rise. It had to be unleavened. Leaven in the, in the Hebrew is called chametz. Chametz. The Hebrew word which literally means sour. Now, if you've, how many of you have ever had any sourdough bread from, from San Francisco? Sourdough. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting that the, 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 some people will tell you that 
sourdough bread actually started with one one lump, and that lump was passed on, and it kept growing, and it passed on, and kept growing, and passed on. You know, down through however long it's been since they started that. Why do they call it sourdough? Because it has a little bit of sour taste to it. And we'll get to a little bit of that later on. We're not, I'm not going to talk about all of the Passover Seder tonight. I'm just going to make reference to certain things in it. Nonetheless, it is the essence by which things decay. Listen carefully. Yeast is the essence by which things decay. It is a fermentation process which can also be seen as a process of death. And I find it interesting when I look at a passage like Romans 5.12, a, a, a word that came through the person of, of, of Paul, who was, I mean, he was, uh, as he once said, a Hebrew of Hebrews. <laughs> he was a Jew of the Jews. And knew and understood all of these things. Personally. Growing up as a Jew in Tarsus, when his name was Saul or Shaul, Saul. And he would say in Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man sin, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, and the word for passed in the Greek, it's an interesting word because it means spread upon all men. Spread like leaven spreads through a lump of dough. So sin entered into the world by one man and death by sin and that death passed upon all men. Just kept spreading. Like sourdough bread. For that all have sinned. For that all have sinned. And Paul tells us, of course, in the book of Romans, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And leaven in Scripture is usually a symbol of sin. There's a couple of times when leaven is used in a different form and manner, but for the most part, leaven is used in Scripture as a type or a symbol of sin. The unleavened matzah graphically portrays the pure and the sinless Messiah. Keep that in mind because this is certainly one of the themes of the, un, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And again, this matzah, this unleavened matzah, portrays the pure and the sinless Messiah. It is, it is pierced in the process of what is, is still to this day used for matzah by the Jewish people who celebrate Passover. And, and actually, you know, every, every, every Shabbat, you know, they, they also have matzah as well. They also have challah bread, which is... Uh, you know, yeast-driven kind of bread, but nonetheless. You look at matzah, 
You look at the squares of matzah. I should have put, I should have put a picture up here. You've all seen it. This matzah has stripes on it. And on, on the stripes, it has pierced. It is pierced. Interesting, isn't it? It's pierced even as our Lord was pierced by the nail, nails in His hands and His feet and the Roman spear in His side. The matzah is, is striped in the baking process. And it reminds us of, of, this, of the text in Isaiah 53 verse 5 that says, But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. With his stripes. And you look at a sheet of matzah. <laughs> and it's got stripes. And it's got piercings. Even just the bread alone. Without bringing up everything that happens on Passover. Or what happens on the day of unleavened bread. So getting back to our understanding of leaven, sin, too, is a process of death and decay. Sin is a process of death and decay. Through sin, death came into the world, and through sin, our spirits decay. And you think about the words that were given by God to Adam and Eve in in Genesis chapter 3. Actually, he gave it to them in Genesis chapter 2 when he told them that in the garden they could have fruit from any tree in the whole of the garden except for one tree. Except for the fruit of, of, of the one tree called the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says that you don't eat the fruit of that tree because on the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall begin to die. Literally, that's what he said. You shall begin to die. And when they ate of that tree, they died spiritually. But they began to die physically as well. But spiritually, that spiritual death still had, you know, the picture of that still had for us a, a picture of redemption. If you remember that the Lord took skins of animals and covered Adam and Eve with them. And the implication, of course, is that he probably took two lambs or two sheep or maybe one, probably a big lamb, and killed it, bloodshed. The sacrifice, the payment of sin, and then took the skins to cover Adam and Eve. The earliest picture, you see, 
But now death had to enter into the picture. Death came in. But God would use that to show that there would be one coming whose death would take care of all sin. So, Yeshua, Jesus, through paying the price for us, redeeming us, did away with the lasting effect of hamatz, I'm sorry, hametz, which is yeast or leaven. He did away with the lasting effects of hametz. Therefore, one of the themes of this festival, one of the themes of this feast, is the freedom from sin's effects. The freedom from sin's effects. But I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself here. So I've got to backtrack a little. The reason for not using leaven is reflecting the fact that the Israelites had no time to put leaven in their bread before their hasty departure from Egypt. If you're still at Exodus 12 or you're needing to keep a finger there for a while, let's go there and look at Exodus 22 verses 33 and 34 because here it says that the Egyptians were urgent, were urgent upon the people that, that they might send them out of the land in haste for they said, we, we'd be all dead, man. <laughs> you know, in other words, we've got to get these people out. I mean, you know, the ten plagues came To move the heart of Pharaoh to let God's people go. And then what would come? The Passover. The angel of death coming. And if he didn't see the blood, the firstborn of every household would would die. And that scared the people enough to say, hey... We got to get these. We got to get these Israelites out of here. So they said, "Let's get them out, man." For I mean, because we'll all be dead if we don't. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs or their kneading bowls. That's the next verse, okay? So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs or their kneading bowls being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. They had it ready to go. They, were going to do all, they weren't going to go through that whole process of what they did to just, you know, make bread that would eventually rise. They didn't have time. And there are at least six scriptural passages that emphasize this prohibition of leaven. Very clear prohibitions of the use of leaven on these days. Which actually carries severe consequences for eating anything with leaven. Let's look at the most severe consequence, which is Exodus 12, verse 15, which says, Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread, uh, leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So here's a clear prohibition with, with a clear consequence. You'll be cut off. This has to be followed exactly to the letter. Seven days, no leaven. No leaven anywhere. It's got, it's got to be taken out of the house. 
Well, doesn't it sound interesting? I mean, isn't that what we're being told all the time? That we need to do the same thing with sin? In the, in, in the, in the, in the greatest house we, we've been given, which is that place where we meet the Lord here in our very hearts? We're told later on in Exodus 13, verse 7, it says, Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread be seen with thee. No, you can, we don't want to see it. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in, the, in all thy quarters, in, in, all thy, in all thy house. You know, we, we don't want to see it. So from, uh, from scriptures like this, we see then the, the establishment of the tradition of of the, the Passover that is, was to be followed and, 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 and then built upon, you know, this, this, uh, this idea that came from the Word of God. To remember what God had done for His people. But deep down inside of all of this, there was that underlying message, there was that underlying word, there was that underlying picture of Mashiach. Of the Messiah. And even to this day, Jewish people who observe the traditional feasts go through the process of what I, what I call spring cleaning. It's in the spring, isn't it? So they go through spring cleaning, but maybe for a lot of different reasons than we do. Because you see, they go through a comprehensive and thorough search of their houses for any form of leaven or leavened food. Hametz, until every last crumb is removed from the house. And they have little things that they do with their families, and everybody, you know, they go to find little places where they have it, then they use some kind of a feather thing and with a, with a, with a wooden spoon, and they pick it up, and they put it, and they, throw, they get it all out, and they throw it out of the house. They burn it, you know, in some cases. Every last crumb has to be taken out of the house. Anything that is leavened, out. So let me say that this means more than just eating leaven. It means more than just eating leaven. It is a matter of complete separation. A matter of complete separation. I want you to listen both to Jesus and to the Apostle Paul who warned about leaven. And this is just a small list. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together a, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, <clears throat> he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, so he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, Beware, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? What is the leaven, the sin, that keeps growing in the Pharisees? So he, he, he describes it and he, and he names it. He says, beware of the leaven of, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You can read, you know, there in the, in the uh, Gospel of Matthew about... The Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus says, woe unto the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them. Whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you know, everything is in, in its proper place, and you go out and you pray in the streets, and you do all kinds of stuff, but inside of you, 
You're dead. Dead. Putting on the show. That's hypocrisy. In, in the Greek language, hypocrisy is, is the word that is used for masks in theater. Putting on a mask. When Paul deals with this issue of, of leaven, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. They were glorying actually over a very heinous sin that was taking place in the church itself, by people in the church. Man, in, in, in essence, a man who was having relations with, with his stepmother. If we need to be graphic about it, well, I'm not going to get graphic about it, but if you need to know, just read 1 Corinthians 5. So with that in mind, you get to here and he says, you're glorying. Is not good. In other words, there are people that are actually boasting about this stuff happening in the church. And can you, can you imagine even today where we have so many churches that are boasting that they're so free to allow abominations to go on in their, in, in their own churches? Disregarding the word of God concerning marriages today? Is that boasting just means that we're, we're so, you know, we're so sophisticated now in the church? Or have we just decided to embrace the most sinful abomination that God says is an abomination? Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? If there's this little leaven in this church... It's, it's going to spread. So he says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. You know, it's interesting that some people have said, you know, the, the old leaven is, is, is really, you know, going back to, you know, doing the law or, or doing, or even celebrating these festivals. And, no, it's not. What's the context? Sin. Sin in the church. Sin in the camp. So, so don't change the context. Paul is very clear. Your glory for this is not good. There's, there's a little leaven, leaven is a lump. So purge out the leaven, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Now this is New Testament. There's nothing wrong with, with celebrating the feast if it's for the reason of understanding what's going on with all of these things and pointing and seeing that it all points to Christ. So he says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, in other words, with the old life, with the old man, with the old sin, uh, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul deals strongly with this issue of leaven. Sin. And then he says in the book of Galatians, chapter five, verses uh, seven through nine, he says, "You you did run well. Uh, you you as a church were doing very well, following after the Spirit." Go back and read Galatians chapter three, where he says, "Hey, you know, weren't you following the Spirit? If, if you were following the Spirit, who are you following now?" 
You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I can tell you this, there are many scriptures that tell us of our need to walk in holiness. Certainly. In other words, to walk set apart unto the Lord. Set apart from the world and set apart unto the Lord. There are many scriptures. For example, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 5. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, there you go. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. That gives us a little description here of, of what happens when we purge out leaven. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought or to have worked the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot speaking evil of you. So what you used to do and you don't do with, your, with all your buddies any longer, you know, they, they just speak evil of you because you're not running in the crowd any longer. Why? Because you, you you're a new man, you're a new person, you're a new lump. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? See, that's part of that fear and trembling that we need to have when we come to Christ. Not that we fear him in terror, we fear him in reverence, in awe, because of who he is. Ephesians 4, Paul says in verses 30 to 32, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. How many of us, how many of us, listen, how many of us need for us to interpret this for you? I don't know and understand how people can say, you know, I don't do any of those things, and you do it constantly. I'm not saying you. You all being here probably don't do any of those things, right? But the point is, we try to justify our life, our words, our actions, and we can't do that. We need to get serious with God. Serious about the way you treat your family, you treat your wives, husbands, the way you treat your husband's wives, the way you treat your children, parents. All of those things are important. And if you think you're just pulling the wool over my eyes, that's okay. You might, but you're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. Besides, He's the one that's going to be the judge. The one who judges the living and the dead. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. How about that? How about we do this? Do we need to interpret this for you? And be ye kind to one another? Tender hearted? Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you?
But the focus of the first three feasts of Israel is not so much to call us in the church to holiness as it is, because we've already seen the, the verses that do, but it isn't so much to call us to holiness as it is to focus on the identity of the unleavened bread in type. The unleavened bread in type. That would mean the sinless one and the only sinless one there has ever been and will ever be. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And by the way, another of this feast's themes is that of death and burial. Death and burial. That's another theme of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we'll see in just a moment. The seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to signify that the leaven of Egypt was to be left there dead and buried. The leaven was to be left there in Egypt dead and buried. What is Egypt? It's also a type of sin. And God says, leave it. Don't even use it. Because you've got to get out of here hastily. I think of, I, I think of the coming of Jesus for his church. We've got to be ready. We don't need any leavened bread. We need to be ready. Why? Because he's going to take us out hastily. Because when that day of the Lord starts, it's going to be a day of darkness and trouble. And we've talked about it in the book of Revelation. We've talked about it in the book of Daniel. We talked about it in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Folks, we've got to be serious now. So leaven was, the leaven of Egypt was to be left there dead and buried, hence... The Israelites left quickly with no leaven in their meal at all. What does this mean for us? What it means for us is this. We leave the old life and die to the old man, which is the old leaven I was talking about earlier. We die to the old man, the old leaven, because Jesus is the bread of new life. He's the unleavened bread. Jesus is the bread of new life. His body was the bread to be broken and without sin. I'm telling you, really excited about that. I am. I think it's really wonderful to know that Jesus is the unleavened bread here. And even to this day in the Passover Seder meal... And again, I'm not going to go into any detail about this. We've had Passover seders here before. We're going to have them again, I'm sure. Uh, The Lord tarries. But the important thing is this. Even to this day in the Passover seder meal, they have three pieces of matzah. Sheets of matzah, three of them. They have a special little container for them that has three pockets. That container is translated to to mean unity. 
Wow! This is really cool. Unity. Three pieces of bread inside. Something that looks kind of like a tortilla warmer. Big one. And they put those three things in those three slots inside that, that thing called unity. Wow! Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echod. Echod means one, but not just a single one. It means a composite unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Got the picture? Good. All right. So the three loaves of matzah represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The matzah bread in the center of the three, the one in the middle. The matzah bread in the center of the three is then broken in two. It's broken in two. Representing the body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for us. And the, and, and the matzah is now broken in half. Two pieces of one. That represents that Jesus was both fully God, fully man, and he still is. And now, the larger of the two pieces, because you know what, if you ever try to split a piece of bread or split something up, there's always one that's just a little bit larger than the other. Just a little bit larger. That one is called the afikomen. Afikomen. And the afikomen, by the way, the, it's a, it's, this is interesting. The afikomen is not a Hebrew word, it's a Greek word. And there's some question as to what the real meaning of afikomen is. But, but the best understanding would be that it comes from a, a word that means, I have come, or I came. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Keep that, shut, keep that thought in mind. But the afikomen is then wrapped in a cloth napkin and it's hidden. Ah! I'll think of this. The Jewish people are doing this all the time at Passover. This bread is wrapped in hidden, wrapped in swaddling cloths and then hidden as if Buried. Got it? All right. And this, of course, represents death. And death is separation. Physical death is separation of the material part of man from the, from the immaterial, the flesh, from the soul and the spirit. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God. And what is it that the Scriptures tell us? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as long as the matzah remained hidden... It symbolized that death reigned. 
It symbolized that death reigned. But consider this. In some traditions, the afikomen is searched for by the children. The children now have this part about going around. Run around now. Find, see if you can find the afikomen. See if you can find it. See where it's hidden. See where it's, it needs to be found, you know. And so they go all over the house until one kid finds the afikomen. And that kid is given a coin. Is that a picture too? It sure is. This is a picture of coming to Jesus as a child. If you search for me, you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. Jesus said, my kingdom is as these little children. And then they're told, go run around because, you know, the child is running because now as children of God, we run the race. We're running a race. And we run the race to receive the prize. Then when it is found, the bread is distributed and then it is eaten. They eat the bread. And the interesting thing is they'll eat the bread and then later on they eat all the bread. They break it all up. They break it up so everybody can have some of the bread. Isn't it significant then that this middle matzah, the middle matzah, which was broken and then hidden away, finally to be brought back and then broken and distributed, that Jesus would point to it on a given night and He would say, This is my body which is given for you. Isn't it significant that afikomen means I have come? And it takes us to Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 40 says, Sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire. My ears have Hast thou opened? Stop there for just a moment. My ears thou hast opened. You know what that means? I'm not talking about Q-tips. For some of us, you know. You know what it means? My ears thou have, my, my ears hast thou opened. It's the very same picture of a slave who decides to serve his master for life willingly, who puts his ear to their doorpost of the master's house, and the master would take an awl and and pierce the ear on the house, on the doorpost, and whatever blood stays on the doorpost, and then a ring is put in the ear, to signify that this slave willingly and lovingly will serve his master. Sacrifice and offering, that is not desire. My ears, hast thou opened burnt offering and sin offering? Hast thou not required? Then said I, lo, I come. I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight 
I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And what does Jesus say throughout? What we're learning about it in the book of John. He says, I've come to do the will of my Father who sent me. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus, I don't like to use caps all the time, but I just want to shout this out at you. (laughs) Jesus is the sinless one. He is our unleavened bread. He's our unleavened bread. And we could spend a lot of time in John chapter 6 tonight. There's so many things that Jesus said about bread here. But I just want to go to one verse to close tonight. I hope that we've gotten a little bit of an understanding of the Feast of of Unleavened Bread tonight. But here in verse 35 of of John chapter 6, I'll close with this. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. If there is a promise that the Lord has kept and will keep forever, it's this one. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me trust shall never thirst. He that trusts and accepts the blood and the application of the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins and applied to the doorposts of our heart, the four posts of our heart. And when Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he is risen from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus, our unleavened bread, the unleavened bread. That leaves us with one more festival of the three, which is the Feast of First Fruits, which we will cover in our study next week. I hope and pray that this has been clear and that you've understood these issues and these things. And that tonight your heart will be drawn wonderfully to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that you won't let a day go by if you've never prayed to receive Jesus, to pray to receive him today. Don't let a day go by. Let's pray. We thank you so much, Father, for 
the salvation that you have given us through Jesus. How your word, Lord, has been designed that, that no man can do that. No man can put together these wonderful prophecies that have been fulfilled and have only been fulfilled by our Lord Jesus and will only ever be the one to fulfill these prophecies and these promises as well. And so we are so blessed tonight to to be able to lift up our hearts to you and, and thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for what you continue to do, Lord God, as we look to the day of Jesus, as we look to that day where he made it very clear. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, Lord, we look for that day. We continue to lift up our heads and we continue to look up, for we know that our redemption draws near. But, Lord, we don't want to be asleep. We want to be ready. We want to be ready, Lord God, so that when you come, Lord, there's nothing that keeps us from gathering together before the gate of your, before the very gate and door of your throne, where we will stand forever. Not because of anything we have done, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy, you have saved us. And for this, we thank you and bless you now and again and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.